Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be back here. And uh, let's just spend some time in God's Word now. Um, Let's pray as we uh, we do that. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you that your Word brings life. Your Word brings hope. The Word of God is living and active. And we pray, Lord, as we read together from Romans chapter 8 today, that you would make the Word alive to us. Lord, speak through to our hearts. Uh, May you transform our hearts that that we might know the Lord Jesus Christ, who might know the length and breadth and depth and width of the love of God, and that love might transform our lives. Lord, we pray for transformation today. We pray for encouragement for those who are discouraged. We pray that those who are sat down may be raised up. We pray, Lord Jesus, that your name might be glorified and honoured in this place as we read your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I've been invited to speak on Romans chapter 8, which is wonderful. So if you'd like to turn to Romans chapter 8, first of all. I believe you've been looking at a few of the previous chapters in the book of Romans um, uh, as a a church together. Romans chapter um, 8 is preceded by... Um, Romans chapter 7, surprisingly enough. And in Romans chapter 7, we, uh, we, we finish with reading these words um, from verse 21 to 25. Most of the stuff I'll read will be on the screen, but not this section from uh, Romans chapter 7. It says, So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in Romans chapter 8, we we have a study Uh, of Paul, who haven't asked the question, who will rescue me from this body of death? The hopelessness of wanting to do that which pleases God, but not in our strength. Being able to, who will rescue me that I might live a life which is glorifying and honoring to God? The answer is given, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans chapter 8 is a wonderful study of the rescue that is ours by faith in Jesus Christ, to bring new life, a completely different life to the life where we try to please God in our own strength, but find that we are incapable. It's a dead end. It's not possible to live for God. And uh, Romans chapter 8 speaks about a rescue, not just the rescue of when we die and go to heaven, that's in view, but a rescue that begins with deliverance When people turn by faith to God in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit enters and brings new life, a new life which changes their lives from then on as they enter into the kingdom of God. And so this deliverance is for now as well as for the future. And we celebrate this this new creation that God has made in us, uh, not just for a day yet to come. And Romans 8 speaks about a, a new life in Christ Jesus. A life in step with and in fellowship with the Holy Spirit himself. A life which is, he speaks about the release from bondage and slavery to sin. 
where we can't do anything else but sin because we are, unbo- we are under the bondage of sin. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much we try to turn over a new leaf, no matter how much we commit ourselves to living differently, we fail because we are incapable of living a righteous life. But Romans 8 speaks about a release from the bondage and captivity to sin, as well as the judgment of death. A release, it's something completely different and new that has opened up to the people of God, which Romans chapter 8 celebrates. A life where we can please God. A life where we can enjoy the fellowship of living in step with the Holy Spirit. But it won't be done in our own strength, because that's always been a dead end. It comes through faith in Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a contrast to Romans chapter 7, and that's quite intentional by Paul here as he writes. Chapter 8 speaks about a spiritual transformation which has been brought by the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the word of God says that, uh, that God is able to do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than all we could even ask or imagine in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is a chapter about, about God doing immeasurably more through the Spirit and by faith in Jesus Christ in the lives of ordinary men and women and boys and girls like, like us. It's a story of rescue and a story of change and transformation from one degree of glory into another until we see Christ face to face and we are perfectly transformed into his likeness. But the journey by faith has begun. And you may have, uh, you may look back over a life of faith. You may have been a Christian for many years and uh, you may have started with a bang. And you may have seen in the early years of your Christian life change and transformation that was brought about by the Holy Spirit. And perhaps, perhaps, and it's true for many people, perhaps you may just in these last few years or even just in the last recent years have experienced just a flattening and a deadening and a sort of a tailing off of transformation and change. And you, you may be thinking, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is all there is. And uh, with the truth of God's word today, I pray that if you are sat down thinking, perhaps I've changed as much as is possible. Perhaps those begetting sins, which I've prayed about so many times, perhaps the lifestyle that I have is as good as it's going to get. And Romans 8 comes with encouragement to all of us, that those who are sat down may be lifted up. That those who are walking might learn to run. That those who previously ran might run again. Spiritual transformation. And uh, Romans 8, really, the way I'm going to look at it is, is it's, a, it's a study of what, what inspires and what motivates that change, which is not only changing our minds. It is about truth. The Word of God says truth. The truth, when understood properly and applied properly, will truly set you free, not just in your mind, but in your heart and also in your life. And this is about truth transforming from mind through the heart into a changed behavior. Truth literally setting free, free from bondage, into transforming our lives. And this is a chapter all about that. And I'm asking the question, what what inspires, what motivates, what is the fuel for this kind of change? In Romans chapter 8, let's just read a few verses that begin in Romans chapter 8 together. Chapter 8 verse 1 begins, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, praise God, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by our flesh, God did. And that's really significant. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in our flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is an altogether new kind of life that we have in Jesus Christ. This is living not according to the flesh, with its desires and its bondage and its death, but this is life in accordance with the Spirit, which brings life and transformation and change and hope. This is, this is a truth which sets free, not just for a day or a week or a month or a year, but for a whole life. And the truth of God might be released in us, which says, that uh, God's expectation for the people of God is that we might be being transformed into his glory and likeness day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, until we see him face to face. And it doesn't matter how long you have been a Christian. God's word to you today is the same as a brand new Christian. You can be transformed into the likeness of God with ever-increasing measure. And that opens up an exciting journey of faith for the people of God, whatever stage you're at and however long you've been a Christian. And there's three fundamental truths that, uh, that shape this transformational behavior in lifestyle, which are explored in Romans chapter 8. And the first has to do with our identity in Christ. And uh, I guess if I were to ask you, uh, how do you see yourself? How do you identify yourself? Do you see yourself as being a saint or do you see yourself as being a sinner? That's quite a key question. And it's a question that in Scripture, uh, God says, will make a difference, not only to how you think about yourself, but also to how you behave. The truth that, uh, that Paul explores in these verses in, in Romans chapter 8, the first half of Romans chapter 8, is this truth, that in Christ we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, praise God, through, through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not as we were. We are new. We are altogether new. We have been made new in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. We have a new identity. And who we think we are, in light of the truth of God's word, will shape how we live our lives. It will shape how we live our lives. And Romans chapter 1, and actually at the beginning of lots of uh, Paul's letters, he wants to emphasize quite intentionally this new identity to the people of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 7, for example, uh, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Paul wants to emphasize this new identity of the people of God that they are called to be a holy people. And the new version of the NIV, it's, uh, it's called to be a holy people. And 1 Peter picks that up as well. This is who you are. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who belong to the Lord. You're not as you were. Once you were in darkness. Now, you're in light. You're a new creation. Altogether different. And that makes a difference when we understand truly who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 of chapter 8 says, 
And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And if we rightly understand that, that by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation on us because Christ has paid the price in its fullness and entirety that we might be forgiven. Now that's a wonderful truth, isn't it? There is no condemnation that rests over you, child of God. You have been set free from that bondage which holds you accountable to God for judgment for your sin. Because Jesus has borne that price on it in himself at the cross. Christ's work is sufficient. And therefore, and we have been made righteous through the Lord Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God has been imputed, has been given as a free gift of God's grace to, to you and me. And we stand in God's sight, our status changed. Changed once and for all, eternally changed, no longer sinners, but saints. And that makes a massive difference. And so therefore, as the people of God, we are no longer striving for God's acceptance. Because we are accepted already in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer trying to pay the price or pay God back because Christ's work is sufficient for us. A righteousness, not our own. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 on the theme of our identity says this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. Because we have entered into a personal relationship, an intimate relationship with the creator and maker of heaven and earth. And Jesus says to his people, you can call him, you can call him Father. Oh, that's a wonderful place for the people of God to be. And let me just give you an example as to how the truth of a clear and, and a, you know, an understanding of who we are in Christ, our new identity, can set us free, can set us free, can change behaviour. This is just one example. It's from a number of years ago when I was working as a student worker, and um, and I met a student who. Uh, just when he was sharing, was very, was very honest. It's, and it's true, not only of students, it's true of many, many people. He had a girlfriend. His girlfriend was called Nicola. And in their relationship, this was before they were married, in their relationship, they, uh, they struggled with sexual temptation in their relationship. And they had set boundaries. They'd say, look, if we, if we get together of an evening, you know, we'll do this, we won't do this. This is, this is appropriate, this is inappropriate. They set rules and boundaries and they found themselves incapable in their own strength of keeping these laws that they'd set for themselves. And time and time again, they'd find themselves transgressing those, transgressing those boundaries and find themselves in the pit of guilt and shame and coming before the Lord and confessing their sin and saying, Lord, please, please help us. And this, this student, this guy's student, was in a talk one day when someone was teaching on Romans chapter 8, our identity in Christ, that we are children of God. And he went, he went home that day, 
and, uh, and uh, he printed out um, uh, on little slips of paper, he printed out Nicola, his girlfriend, Nicola is a precious child of God. And he recognized his, uh, his girlfriend was precious to the Lord. A child of God. Wonderfully blood-bought child of God and precious to him. And she, she was his child. And uh, he, he, stuck these little, um, he stuck these little leaflets, uh, these little um, uh, slogans, if you like, uh, above his, minor, his mirror. Uh, so that when he got up in the morning, he, uh, he recognized uh, this, uh, this statement, Nicola is a precious child of God. And he put it in his bedroom, a couple of different places. And, um, and he said that, you know, a couple of days later, Nicola was around at his house at night. And uh, they were watching a movie. And they were sitting down. And they were on the couch and stuff. And uh, he said, I just noticed over her shoulder on the wall, just this statement of truth. Nicola is a precious child of God. And he said it really changed the way I thought about handling her because she's precious to God. And truth can set you free. In a way that rules can't, truth can set you free. When we understand who we are and whose we are in Jesus. It makes a difference. And to summarize this point, I think it's, it's true that in Christ we are accepted by the Father. Therefore, we no longer strive for his acceptance. But we're also indwelt by the Spirit of God. Verse 15 of Romans 8 says, The Spirit you received does not make you a slave any longer. You've been set free. You now have received a spirit of sonship, fellowship with God. And that's true. That makes a massive difference to us. And so when you come to verse 12 of of Romans chapter 8, and it starts to say, okay, so what? In light of who we are, how should that affect our lives? Verse 12 of chapter 8 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. It's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Talks in Romans uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 5, um, just immediately before we've been reading here, it says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. He's talking here about living a life of, uh, of peace with God. Living a life where we, where we seek God's will and we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Living a life where we can please God. And he's talking here about transformation. Transformation of everyday people's lives. From people who used to live in accordance with the sinful nature. That's what controlled their minds. That's what controlled their hearts. That's what controlled their behavior. And you know, the reality is they couldn't do anything else. We couldn't do anything else before we were saved and set free. The only option open was that we lived in accordance with the sinful flesh. We were in bondage to sin. We didn't have an option. But Christ has come into our lives and the Holy Spirit has come to bring freedom and transformation. That we might now live 
for God and not for the sinful nature. And one of the huge motivations for the people of God to live in a life of transformation is because we can. We can. We didn't used to be able to. We used to be bound in sin and couldn't do a thing about it. Even if our hearts wanted to please God, like Paul's talking about in Romans chapter, even if we wanted to, we couldn't. Because in our flesh, we were incapable of living a life of transformation and pleasing God. But by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can now live for God. We've been released and set free to live a life of holiness. Yeah, I should say, just so that we get our expectations, we're not talking about a life of perfection and holiness, but we're talking about a life of transformation. God is talking about being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory as we journey home. And there'll come a day where our holiness will be perfected as we see him face to face. But the expectation of God is that his people become more and more and more like him, right? And that's a call and a challenge that's open to every single one of us here, regardless of where we are, regardless of how long we've been a Christian, we can become more like Jesus. And part of the motivation is that now in Christ, we can, we can. And there's a key battleground that, uh, that Paul speaks about in these chapters, the battleground of the mind, uh, where truth is considered and weighed up and, uh, and analyzed and contrasted and compared with other competing truths that are in our mind and ultimately accepted or rejected and begins to change and transform our lives. And Romans chapter 12 says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And just as lots of people, um, lots of people, perhaps you and perhaps lots of people you know, um, they are committed to... um, uh, to the transformation and change and uh, health of their bodies. So we feed our bodies good stuff and we avoid feeding them bad things. So we train and we cultivate them in such a way that will be for health and vitality and energy. And Paul is saying, in the same way, treat your mind, feed it good stuff. Feed it good stuff that you might know him. That you might be people who are learning the will of God. That there might be a transformation. That in the competing truths that are all around us, that invade our lives and our space, and it's part of the air that we breathe every single day, that the truth of the word of the Lord has a chance to bring change and transformation to our lives. Spending time in God's word is just so important. Spending time with brothers and sisters where we where we are able to discuss and discern and learn and grow that our minds might be transformed. We might learn. We might learn more next month or next year, much more than we did this year, about who God is, what he's like, what his will is, how to please him, how to live for him. Who we think we are affects how we live our lives. 
And brothers and sisters, let's, uh, let's just remind ourselves today afresh. We are the children of God. We are a holy possession of God. We are the precious children of God. You didn't used to be. We once were enemies because of our sin. But in Christ, we have been brought into the family of God and given a new name and a new identity, new clothes to wear, a new ring in our finger, a new place on which to stand that we might declare the praises of God. And there's two things that must flow out of this. Is that one is that we must live for God because we can. We didn't used to be able to, but now we can. And the second thing is we must, because God calls his people, be holy as I am holy. That's not an optional extra for the people of God. That's not just when you fancy it. The Christian life isn't a ticket to heaven. The Christian life is a call into the kingdom of God, where we live for God and be like him. And we be like him with ever-increasing measure every day until we see him face to face. Let's be like the Lord, because we can and because we must. At Romans chapter 8, verse 18 much quicker, the last um, two things, if I get that far. I'm not even sure when you finish. What time do you finish? When you do. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, verse 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And the second big, the second big idea that Paul explores here that is a motivation for transformed behavior is, is this one about what we glory in. Maybe quite an old-fashioned way of saying it, but what we glory in will make a difference for how we live our lives, what we live for. Now, I'll just ask a couple of questions, and it maybe clarify it. What do you, what do you, what, what glory do you live for? When you think about the greatest things that kind of motivate you in terms of the greatest glory, the stuff that you really glory in that you hold as the highest honour, the stuff that is just of the most significant value that you live for? What is the greatest treasure that you live and work for and give energy to? What do you put all your heart into achieving? What do you work out with all your heart? That greatest passion and motivation that drives you. What is that? What is it for? That will reveal what we glory in, right? And when Jesus is talking to his disciples and and others as well, he says in Luke chapter 12, he says this, Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire... How much more will he clothe you? You have little faith. Do not set your hearts on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added, to, will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. 
Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fade, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's the truth that Paul's getting at here. Where your treasure is, that's what you're going to run after. That's where your heart's going to be. That's where your passionate heart and life and energy is going to live for. And that's really significant here. The glory for the people of God is that, um, is that we've been called and brought into and get the chance to be part of the kingdom of God, a kingdom of righteousness, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of hope in a dark world, a kingdom where mercy and grace and truth reigns, a kingdom where we can get to know God. And we can call brothers and sisters, we can call our, bro- our, our, our fellow Christians brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're part of a family. We've been brought into something which is glorious and which is growing, which is extending the kingdom of the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus says the kingdom has come. And by faith we have now entered into this kingdom that God has brought. And he calls his people live for the kingdom of God. Live for its truth, live for its values, live that Jesus might be honoured and glorified, live for justice and mercy and righteousness. And live that people might experience the healing of God. Live that you might know God. And an incomparable glory awaits the people of God. When we will see him face to face. When we die or Jesus comes again. And that is not just um, something that might happen. This is our linear destiny. This is to, to the place to which we travel. And it will happen. It will happen soon or it might happen later. But it will happen. And this is the destiny of the people of God, that we are forever part of the kingdom of God. What are we living for now? Jesus says, don't be distracted by all around in your everyday lives, in your relationships. Live for a kingdom of justice and peace and righteousness and hope and healing and the honor of the Lord. Because that's what matters now and it will matter forever. What we live for, what we glory in, will make a massive difference to how we live our lives now. Massive difference. And Jesus says everything else is temporary, it's transient, even at best it's fading glory. But the kingdom of God, if anything, the glory will increase and increase and increase until one day the light will be so bright. It's even hard for for, for John in the book of Revelation to describe what it looks like because it's so incredible. This is the destiny of the people of God. What are we living for? With that destiny and glory in view now and also in future, it will make a difference how we live our lives. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And the other stuff which fades in in transitory and will pass will be added to you because God knows you need it. And finally, Romans chapter 8 verse 33 says... Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
And verse 37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God's love is so significant here. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, nor the powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? From the love of God in Christ Jesus. And the truth that Paul's bringing out here and demonstrating so beautifully and incredibly powerfully is that as children of God, we are loved by God. And in case you're in any mistake about it, we are loved by God. And it's a love that God has for you as the child of God and the people of God, which is not only unconditional and fully accepting in Christ, you don't have to strive and earn God's love, you are loved by God, but it's also endless and it's also unconquerable. It isn't trumped by anything else and nothing can snatch or pull it or take it away because it's God's love. And who can take away from the Lord what he has chosen to give? Nothing or no one. Because you're asking the question, what or who is greater than God? And when we realize that we are loved by God, that begins to make a difference in terms of how we live our lives. How we hold our lives. How does that truth inspire us? Well, for Paul and for many others since, it's inspired them. Uh, Paul summarizes it, quite an unusual phrase, but he summarizes it in verse 36 like this. As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And if you know anything about the life of Paul, this is a life where he recognized that he was loved by God in such a way that blew his mind. It completely changed him. It melted his heart. And it also changed how he lived his life. It changed how he held his life in his own hands. He didn't see his, his life as mine. mine. Lord, I'll give you some of this. He saw his life in response to the love of God which had been poured unconditionally and endlessly and passionately into him. And he said, this can only overflow. This is not my life. The life that I have, anything that's worthwhile about my life has come from God and it must overflow. And he responds to the love of Christ into his life in the same way that Jesus calls him, which is to say this. He says, Paul, as I have loved you, love other people like that. And Paul does that. And he doesn't hold his life back. He becomes and continues to be, even in face of persecution, a passionate follower of Jesus. Because he recognizes how much and in the way in which he has been loved, and that cannot be contained. And I think one of the consequences of uh, the uncompromising, sacrificial, passionate love of Christ for us is that we are inspired towards a radical, sacrificial, passionate life to Christ in return. And you can see that through the history of the extension of the church from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. People loved the Lord Jesus Christ with their whole lives and sometimes with their lives because they loved God. And it made a difference to how they lived. And the kingdom of God has come here because they were passionate followers of Jesus in every generation 
since then to now. And God calls us to be the passionate followers of Jesus who will hold nothing back in this generation. That the next generation might hear. That the next generation might know. That they too might turn to the Lord and say he is God. And God calls you in exactly the same way today. We love him because he first loved us. And calls us to love others as he has loved us. We've got lots of good reasons to be being transformed every day and in every way. Because we're loved by God. And that makes all the difference in the world. And the more we know that, the more that is going to affect our change and and change our lives. Let's pray as we close this morning that God will change our lives through what we've heard today. Lord, we pray today, may the truth of your word be released, not only in our lives, but into our hearts, Lord. Hold nothing back from your words being released in our hearts today. And we pray, Lord, that as we even in here, but as we leave here, that we might be a people who are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for who we are in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that the truth of your word truly sets us free. Bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.